Hi, this is Lori. And this is Rachel. Welcome to Tales, Tales from, from the Rock Side. Hello. Hi, Rachel. We just had a fun... Um, couple half hour of trying to figure out this stuff we did and this is a tip for all you amateur podcasters out there is if your phone uh, or if your computer decides to uh, update at some point it might reset everything back Uh to factory settings and you're going to spend a half an hour trying to figure (laughs) out what your settings are to record your podcast again because you're not engineers yeah and neither are we i think we done figured it out (laughs) We done did figure it out. We did. Um, but speaking of uh, podcasting and sound and all of that good stuff, we are on iTunes now. We are on iTunes. That's very exciting. Mm-hmm. It is very exciting. It would be more exciting if this wasn't the second time we're trying to tell people that we're on iTunes. Yeah, it does make it a little awkward to go over the stuff. But we also have an Instagram and mm-hmm. we've got a Facebook page. We're working to get onto Stitcher. Stitcher, we might have a Twitter at some point, undecided. I know people like Twitter. I don't, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll probably eventually get a Twitter. Um, I've noticed that we're also starting to pop up on other um, podcast apps. Yes, uh, I use CastBox for Android, and we popped up on CastBox, which is very cool. Yes, and I use Overcast, and we are on Overcast also. Yep, I don't know what else, because I don't. Yes, And Podbean, which is our Podbean, um, hoster. Is our, our home. Mm-hmm. Our home. Our home podcast host. Yep. So cute. Yep. Um, but yeah, so now I'm feeling much more confident that we're actually being recorded. <laughs> Amazingly enough, we might be able to become sound engineers after all of this oh and God. go get a job at a studio somewhere and screw up all kinds of people's oh, I recordings. Ho- I hope so. That's I mean, the dream. We have a tiny four channel board here yeah. that we have no idea what 90% of the buttons are. Uh-uh. I can't imagine looking at an like entire studio's. Yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. I know they would be like, um, weirdly enough, ever since we hired Rachel and Lori, our label maker has run out of labels. <laughs> that would be for sure. And then they walk in and it's all just like stickers. <laughs> that is exactly what would happen because this is a little silly. But hey, we've gotten there. Uh, yeah, go us. I'm so proud we have, of us. We have. And uh, I guess I'll do one of those awkward transitions, too. Speaking of recording with primitive recording devices. I don't know if this is that primitive, but sure. I like it. Yeah. The kind of scary thing is, is that, you know, today's tiny little podcaster has better equipment than, you know, the Beatles had. And who we're talking about today, which is Motown had. Yeah, which is crazy because I can't sing. (laughs) No, no. But it's just that they were able to create such amazing music on such very early yeah equipment not great devices yes those people did know how to engineer yeah, that's true <laughs> speaking of people who know what they're doing professionals there you go let's go let's go let's do this okay so anyway today's episode we're gonna be talking about the founding and beginning days of motown records Woo-hoo, motown records yeah source material for this episode is from the book the story of motown by Peter Benjaminson, who has an awful lot of... That's a good last name. Yeah, he's got a lot of endings to his name. And it's also from the website's Classic Motown, and of of course Wikipedia. I think it goes without saying that, you know, most of the 
base material comes yeah, yeah, from wikipedia yeah. it's just easier to go on there right to start structuring the story right and all written by the lovely Lori karn thank you you're welcome thank you it's also semi-improvised that's, that's exciting uh, yeah. isn't it yeah i like yeah. that yeah so anyway, uh, Barry Gordy III, who is also known as Barry Gordy Jr., was the seventh of eight children. Well, that's a lot of kids. Yeah, it's a lot of kids. Born on November 28, 1929 in Detroit, Michigan. Michigan. Mm-hmm. His father was Barry Gordy II, who is also known as Barry Gordy Sr. And he'd really re- relocated to Detroit from Georgia in 1922 to work in the automobile industry. Oh, okay. And um, he also had a couple of independent businesses along the way. They were a very solidly middle class family nice. with all these all of these children. Pretty cool. This is they're a really cool family, and I'll be talking about it, that a little bit. It's cool that it's considered middle class, and they have like a whole bunch of businesses. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's but I mean, they're not like if you can't refer to Barry Gordy as like coming from like a right. poor background or coming no. from the ghetto or whatever, because right, right. they were very solidly middle class family. That's pretty dope. Yeah. Um, his his father Barry Gordy, the one we know of's grandfather, was the son of a white plantation owner. Mm. Yeah, James Gordy and his female slave. Yeah, yeah. But this is this is interesting. Barry Gordy's grandfather, the first Barry Gordy, his half brother James, his white half brother, mm-hmm. was the grandfather of President Jimmy Carter. Oh wow! Yeah, that's, pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah, a little. I mean, it's a little obviously scary. sketch because of you know. Yeah, but, but still. But cool. Yeah, it's interesting that both branches. Yeah. Were such ambitious. Yeah. You know, is, and successful that's, people. That's a weird. Yeah, it's a weird bloodline thing yeah. that must. Uh, can I didn't get any of that ambitious fun stuff, so a little jealous. Thank you. <laughs> you know I didn't. <laughs> Okay, anyway, back to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Gordy family, um, they did this thing where they established a fund, all Barry and all of his, the Barry Gordy we're talking about, who's the founder of Motown. Um, junior. Yes, Junior. He, they, his whole family established this family fund that everybody had to contribute to. I, I don't know how much, let's say $5 a week. Huh. And that way when any of them had to, to like buy a car or buy a house or whatever they could borrow from the family because in those days um, you know we're talking like 1940s um, and 50s it it was really hard for black people to uh, get loans from banks oh okay because of racism yeah yeah and um, and like Jim Crow laws and all that kind of stuff And, and then you didn't want to go and take money from a loan shark for obvious reasons, you know. They are called loan sharks for Exactly, exactly. So you could borrow from the family. You'd get a, a reasonable, uh, you had to pay it back, but the terms were reasonable. You still had to pay interest. But like I said, it was not an egregious I, that's amount. That's a really sweet kind of idea. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Yeah. Like I said, this is this, the family is pretty incredible. They were all, all of him and his brothers and sisters ended up being very successful. Yeah. Um very supportive when one of them was would do something the others would were very very supportive um so anyway um barry gordy jr who i'm just going to say call him as barry from now on let's make it easier Uh, he was in his family he was kind of considered the lazy one Okay. <laughs> um, and a lot of it had to do with just childhood things. I mean, he was the seventh child. And oh, yeah. So I think, like, a lot of times him and his younger brother would kind of, like, shirk the family chores and stuff like well, that. yeah. I mean, yeah. they're also, like, you know, 
young they're the youngest yeah yeah and i and although like i think most of the family were very driven um he had a little harder time figuring out what it was that he wanted to do Mm -hmm. once he got older he um he dropped out of high school and became a boxer Oh, no way. But he, he boxed. And he was pretty successful as a boxer, but he was a bantamweight, which means you're a little bit smaller of a boxer. Mm. You're not a middleweight. You're not a heavyweight. And I, didn't know I, called, I don't know a lot about boxing. I didn't so. know it was called bantamweight. Yes. So although he was successful, he had a difficult time finding people to box against because just because oh, yeah. there's not tons of people that box little, in that little, weight class. Little boxers. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was then drafted into the army for the Korean War. Oh, God. And after his return from Korea in 53, he married Thelma Coleman. And he was always interested in music. Mm-hmm. So he borrowed some money from the family and he opened up a jazz record store. Oh, cool. Yeah. Unfortunately, nobody was really listening to jazz at the time because R&B was getting super, super popular. Right. Which, I mean, yeah, maybe his timing's just a little off. It, yeah, his timing was a little off. So he, his business failed. Yeah. He worked for a little bit at the Lincoln Mercury Auto Plant. Auto, so auto, automobiles? Automobiles. Okay. Lincoln Mercury. Lincoln Mercury. Ooh, that doesn't sound good. No, it's fine. Those are, oh, that's a. Is it? It's an automobile company, yeah. It, I, I'm not going to say if I think it's a division of GM or not because people will. Read you. Read you. Read me for sure. And I, I don't know. Yeah. For sure. I was thinking like. Know nothing about cars too. Because it's called Mercury. I was thinking of like, you know, what happens when you get mercury poisoning i don't know no. my, my brain was somewhere else it's, he was just he was just working on the line at the auto, auto got planet. it that makes much more sense uh he met jackie wilson at mm. the flame show bar which was a r&b club in detroit flame show cute mm-hmm. name. and jackie wilson i think that they kind of connected i think jackie wilson had also been in the army and jackie wilson was a singer oh, okay um, so then barry started writing some songs um, sometimes with his sister gwen sometimes with others and in 1957, he wrote a song that Jackie Wilson recorded called Reet Petite. Reet? Reet? Reet Petite. Reet? Yes. What's, Reet. What does Reet mean? I have no idea. Cool. Reet Petite. Reet Petite. But it's on the playlist. Oh, speaking of playlist, um, there's a playlist on Spotify under our name, Tales from the Rock Side, that I corresponds always, to this episode. I always forget about that. Yeah, yeah. So listen, I, I spent a lot of time putting together the playlist. I really love doing that. So definitely listen to the playlist. Yeah, the playlists are actually kind of the reason for this podcast. <laughs> in a way, in a way. But it's nice to, for, you know, you can listen to it and kind of get a, an idea of the songs that we're actually right. talking about. So. Anyway, um, this that Sweet Reet Petite was a small hit. It had a little more success internationally, where it reached top ten. Oh, nice! And then um, Jackie Wilson recorded six more songs that Barry wrote over the next two years, including "Lonely Teardrops." I don't know if you know. I don't. If that sounds familiar or not? Uh... If you hear this when you listen, it's on the playlist. If you hear it, you'll yep. recognize it. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, that's the thing. It's you know. Yeah, it it reached uh, number seven in the pop charts and it topped nice. the R and B charts. It was a very big hit. Hey. Um, he also co-wrote some songs for Etta James. I know her. And um, <laughs> in 1957, he was um, at Brunswick Records because uh, he would write songs. Other people would record them. They'd try to get them distributed. Um, so he was at this place called Brunswick Records, and he ran into this guy, this young guy, like in a teenager, late teenager, probably just out of high school, who was auditioning his group for Brunswick, mm-hmm. and that guy was Smokey Robinson. Hey! And Brunswick passed on Smokey and his group, who 
later became the miracles i don't know i don't think they were called the miracles at that point but barry was really impressed when he met Smokey because Smokey had this notebook with him that he had like over a hundred songs written that he'd written while he was in high school man and i think barry recognized as a songwriter wow this guy's really prolific this wow. you know to have that many songs around yeah like already yeah yeah so um barry helped barry was starting to get into produ- production and so he helped uh, Smokey and the Miracles get their first song out, which was called Got a Job. Which, Got a Job. Got I've a heard Job. That. No, you've heard Get a Job. Nope, I've heard Get a Job. Yes, which was a more popular song. I don't remember who'd recorded that. This is kind of an answer song to that. Oh. Yeah. Wasn't a huge hit. It was minor. Did okay. I've heard Get a Job. Yes. I apologize. Yeah, no problem. I mean, you might have heard Got a Job. I don't know. I. It's on the playlist. I didn't listen to them. Yeah, I know you didn't. (laughs) I have a confession to make. Yeah, I can't get Rachel to listen to these playlists. That's the confession. Uh, Yeah, the confession is that I am really bad at listening to music. Yeah. And I'm an on-music podcast. Anyway, so Barry was getting pretty frustrated by the lack of control that he had over the recordings and more importantly, the lack of profits that he was getting. Oh, yeah. He was looking for that cash money. Yeah, he was looking for the money. So in 1958, he got a royalty check for some of his compositions for $3.19. Ooh, a whole can of soda. Yeah, I think he was kind of realizing that songwriting wasn't the way to become wealthy. Is basically he, is he going i really i could use a bit more money <laughs> yeah i think he was like this is getting me nowhere yeah, so yeah. um with Smokey's urging he decided to start a record label oh okay so he borrowed 800 dollars from the gordy family savings fund again nice and originally he decided to he wanted to name the record company tammy records after a song in that debbie reynolds had done called tammy from the movie Tammy. Oh, cool. Very specific. Yes. Sorry, my eyes are starting to water. <laughs> but um, that name was already taken. Some other record, small record company had used that name. So he called it Tamla. Tamla? Tamla. And it began... He couldn't think of anything else? I, I, he liked, he really liked Tammy, so he wanted something similar. He could have thought of something else, but... Whatever. Um, it began operating January 12th, 1959. Uh, the the song Come to Me by Marv Johnson was issued as Tamla 101, and it was picked up for national distribution by United Artists. Oh, okay. So then Barry started assembling a staff with some of the members of his family. Some some of his brothers and sisters came on board. I mean, he's got seven to choose from. <laughs> yes. Um, his, one of his sisters, Anna, also started a record label called Anna Records. Hey. Uh, and that was later absorbed into Motown. Nice to know a lady started a record company too. Yeah, though. Get a girl. yeah. He separated from his wife and he started d- dating Renoma Lyles, who um, had also helped with a lot of the tasks starting up the business. She was with a group called the Raber Voices, which Raber. yeah, which was for Renoma and Barry. Oh, yeah. That did most of the backup vocals in those early days. It was just like a, a group of her and a couple other people that Are did backup they vocals. The first celebrity mashup name? They might be. That's crazy. They might be. That's really weird. Yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> Raber. Raber. Um, she also oversaw Joe Bet, which was the company that Barry established for songwriters. Oh, okay. To be the songwriting company, the music music publishing. Sorry. And they later married and they had a son. Aw. Is he 
Barry Gordy 500 or He's not. um, I don't remember what his son's name was, and I didn't write it down. I know that he, uh, most of Barry's kids ended up at some point either recording for the studio or for the record label or working for the record label. I figured. I was just curious if it was another Barry Gordy or not. I believe he has a Barry Gordy, but I don't think this was the one. Because he's had several children. Well, yeah. I mean, I was just wondering if he was like we're gonna carry this name yeah they did yeah they did for sure and i believe there's a carrie gordy too (laughs) is there a gary bordy i don't think so because they didn't change their last name (laughs) but would you i would change my last name for that joke (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) this is why mom's not gonna let me name any of my children (laughs) no i'm naming them (laughs) no i don't think so um So the song that really embodied Barry's wishes at the time was recorded by Barrett Strong in February 1960, and that was Money, That's What I Want. There it is. Yeah. He's looking for that. Money, money, money. (laughs) Yeah, that's not the right song. No, I know it's not. Okay. It's another, that's another, okay, I'm trying to get the youth. (laughs) Okay, sorry. (laughs) Sorry in the music history that we're not addressing the hits of today. I don't even know if that's a hit from today, to be honest with you. No, that's no. actually a hit from your your teenage my, years. My youth. Your youth. Your teenage years. Oh, no. Uh, then in... Oh, let's see. I don't have the date on this. Then the the Miracles, Smokey Robinson's group, recorded the first million-selling single that the, hit, that the label had called Shop Around. Shop Around? You know that song. Uh, it's not Jump Around. Shop, shop, shop around. Okay. <laughs> Why is it that you don't love my jokes? <laughs> I do. I truly, truly do. Um, shop around and some other early hits like Who's Loving You and You Really Got a Hold of Me. You know that Yeah, song. I know You Really Got a Hold of Me. Uh, those were some of the Miracles songs that really made them the, f- the label's first songs. They had a bunch of other hits later on, but those were their early on hits. Nice. That- uh, they were kind of the stars of the label. Uh, Tamla was then merged into a new company, Motown Records Corporation. So how'd they get the Motown? Do you I'll know? get to that. Oh, never mind. That was incorporated in April 14th, 1960. Motown had mm. long been a nickname for the city of Detroit for I... the Motor City because they made automobiles. Oh, I didn't know that. It was the that. Motor Town. So it's Motown. So That's very cute. Motown. Yep, yep. That's adorable. So, yep, that's like where that. they got Motown from. I like that a lot. In 1960, uh, Barry signed an unknown singer, Mary Wells, who became the label's second star. Mm-hmm. She had approached him in a club with a song she had written for Jackie Wilson. Man, it was really easy to get a record deal back in the day, huh? Yeah, I mean, that. I think it's a lot of where uh, Barry was, like, trying to get new people for his label so he was in the clubs looking for talent and she saw him and went oh yeah he works with jackie wilson i've got this song okay so it says she was only 17 why she was in a club at 17 i don't know but anyway because it was the 60s that's true and so she went up and she said i have this song i wrote for jackie wilson he said well why don't you sing me the song Mm -hmm. and which she did and he was impressed with her voice so he had her record it oh nice and it was a song called bye bye baby i don't i don't know this song but her earliest records that she did on Motown, they kind of had a real a rough R&B sound. And nice. it just didn't work for her too well. They, her, She wasn't terribly successful. But then Barry set her up with Smokey Robinson. 
and he wrote and produced her biggest hits like you beat me to the punch two lovers and my guy which i know you've my heard guy. my guy yeah. um all of these songs had kind of like that bossa nova beat and it was offset by her she had a really whispery rough sound to her voice and i've heard that that was achieved because they would make her do take after take after take until you know her voice was almost shot (laughs) and then then they'd be like okay this is the winning take there had to be an easier way to do that i don't know just saying yeah yeah just make her go to a football game and scream for a while she's fine well that would have been an idea yeah yeah take her out yeah or just say Sing it softer, Mary. That's also something that they could have done. <laughs> I guess I'm thinking of how else can you uh, fuck with this person's voice? And you're thinking of, why don't we just ask her? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I suppose if you, if you want her to just have, if you want her to have a naturally quieter, rough voice, then just having her sing the song over and over again works as well as making her scream somewhere. Yeah, I guess so. But what's more fun? To her, maybe being because you know she likes to record, she likes to be in the studio. I guess so. I don't know. I was just thinking she likes to sing. That's true. I mean, I like to sing. Yeah. Do you like to sing until your voice hurts? If somebody wanted to hear me that much, I might. <laughs> Most people go, "Okay, stop now." Yeah. Well, I like to sing, but I'm tone deaf. So yeah, we all say <laughs> stop now. <laughs> wow! Wow! I did not come here to be roasted. <laughs> I came here to learn about Motown. There was so many times when Rachel was a teenager <laughs> and she'd be it. singing along in her room at the top of her lungs need. and we would just kind of shake our heads and yeah, turn uh, off the TV a little bit. <laughs> Emily, my sister, used to put all, like be on the phone with her friends or my cousin and like laugh at me because I can't sing. Which is very rude. What, she like hold the phone so she they can hear it. She would hold the phone it. up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. especially She's my a cousin, shit. my cousin Jordan, who is a singer. So uh, fuck you, Emily, for that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, another early hit making group for Motown was the Marvelettes. The Marvelettes. What mm-hmm. a cute name. They were a group that formed at Inkster High School in Michigan, which is a suburb of Detroit. By a 15-year-old Glee Club member, Gladys Horton, in the fall of 1960. Glee Club. I know. Adorable. In 1961, they entered a talent show contest, but they ended up finishing in fourth place. But, and the, the first, the top three winners were offered a trip to audition to Motown. But the two girls, two of the girls' school teachers really kind of pushed that they got included too because they were like we see something in this girl in this group of girls that's really cute yeah so barry was impressed with their vocal styles but he told them to come back with their own composition because they were obviously singing other people's songs so they came back with a song that was a collaboration from one of the members georgia dobbins and a local musician named william garrett and that song was please mr postman i know that song i know and uh, they had a couple of follow-up hits, called one called Beachwood 45789, and a song called Playboy. There's too many numbers in that one song. That is an early phone number, Beachwood 45789. It doesn't mean that there's not too many phone numbers. Yeah. It used to be that you had to know, like, you'd call the operator and say, hook me up to, and you'd say, like, the exchange, the which was Beachwood, it's like the area, hook me up to, it'd be like saying... Oh, um, I want to call my cousin, dial Reynoldsburg, and then a number. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I hate that because I can't remember numbers. (laughs) I would have to have one of those planners. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, that's they made phone directories in those days. Too. Oh, did they? Okay, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm in the age of cell phone. What do you want? True. <laughs> um, Barry realized that he needed a larger bu- building for his business, and he bought a two-story house at twenty-six forty-eight West Grand Boulevard for twenty-five thousand dollars. Man, a two-story house for twenty-five thousand dollars. Oh, it was like 1960. Yeah, <laughs> the house had a photographer's studio in a converted garage, so that was easily able to turn into a recording studio. Easy. Mm-hmm. On the front of the building, they put up a sign that called it Hitsville, USA. Hitsville. Yeah. Adorable. Yeah. Barry and Renoma lived in the top floor apartment with their oh, their newly born son Carrie. I did write down his name. Hey, this, this was Carrie. This one's Carrie. I think he already had a son named Barry from his first wife. Oh. I think so. And she also had a son by her first marriage named Cliff Lyles. And both Carrie and Cliff ended up, I think they both recorded for a while and then huh. and then worked. And one of them, I think Cliff uh, worked for Paisley Records for a while for Prince. Oh, okay. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Cliff. Yep. This location, it really quickly became a mecca for Detroit's musicians and the wannabes, the ones that were trying to get a start well, in their yeah. career. Um, they'd kind of gather audition everything like that it's probably easier to go there than it was a lot of other places you know if you're in the midwest it's easier to go to michigan than it is to go to la well and this was just michigan just happened to be like you know there's if you look at the all of music history there's these spots that pop up that are just like there's a ton of talented people trying to make it um obviously seattle in the 90s um New York for a while, which New York was obvious because of the size of it. Well, yeah. Um, it, it, so they just happen to be these spots where all of these musicians yeah. come out People of. still hub to New York. Not, not, I don't think musicians as much. Yeah. But I know a lot of artists go to New York. Yeah, yeah. Manchester, England. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just these spots where Weird. all of a sudden there's, it just, whatever economic conditions um, create hmm. this. Just like situation where there's just a lot of people trying to make it weird um barry signed the four tops who were a little bit older they had been working in the clubs they they didn't write their own songs so they were always doing covers so they really hadn't recorded too much but they were a very successful vocal group Hmm. and so he signed them and uh hooked them up with uh i think holland dozier holland wrote their biggest hits um Marvin Gaye was signed around this time. Martha Reeves was working as a secretary for Motown. Oh, okay. And she had a group called the Vandellas. Vandellas. It had it was a combination of the street she lived on, which was Van something or other, might have been Van Dyke, and her favorite singer, Della Reese. So oh. She put them together called Vandellas. And but she was working as a secretary, and then whenever they would need some like people to do some backing vocals and stuff, her group would, would be called up. Nice. Um the, they matched up uh, songwriters Brian and Eddie Holland, and they paired them up with Lamont Dozier, which became a very, very successful songwriting trio, Lamont Dozier Holland. Hmm. Holland Dozier Holland, sorry. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> you are like, what if I mix them all together into one word? <laughs> yeah. He pulled together a group of musicians from the area, um, very talented musicians, and then collectively they called them the Funk Brothers. Funk Brothers. And they became the um, backing group for most of the records. Mm-hmm. There's a really good documentary called Standing in the Shadows of Motown, which talks about the Funk Brothers. Hmm. Um, 
in. Do you know if it's on any streaming devices or not? I don't. I'm, okay. It was a pretty popular, it was pretty well-received documentary from a couple of years ago. So hmm. it's it's out there. It's easily found. Yeah, I'm just curious. Um, there was an 11-year-old Stevie Wonder was brought in. Aww. Yeah. Uh, the Temptations, which was two local groups, were merged and they were signed. Cute. There was a group of teenage girls that used to hang around the lobby waiting to get attention. They auditioned and they were said, you, you were too young, come back. So they started coming back every single day and just sitting around the lobby. <laughs> and every once in a while, if they needed some hand claps or some backing vocals, they got called up. And they be- later on became the Supremes. I was going to say that sounds like the Supremes. Yep. And, you know, later episodes, we'll talk about these groups in a little more detail. We'll probably do an episode solely on the Supremes. I'm sure we'll do one solely on Marvin Gaye and one solely on Stevie Wonder. Oh, yeah, yeah. These are just, hey, these are some names. Yeah, and this is is still in the early days, so it's, this is when a lot of them were getting signed, not so much than they were getting hits, because we're talking like, you know, 59, 60, 61. And some of their hits didn't come till a little bit later. But one of the things that made Motown so successful was every every recording they made, they would put it in front of a panel of executives, mm-hmm. and they all had to listen and approve it before it would be released. Huh. So it wasn't just like, we're recording, and then we're putting it on a single, and we're going to see what happens. Yeah. They would all listen to it. Sometimes they would be like, well, we like this song, but we don't like this this it for this singer. It doesn't work for whoever's doing it, yeah. so have somebody else do the vocals that's cool sometimes they would be like no this shouldn't be a single at all it would just end up as an album track um but because of that they had a very high rate of success yeah because they were getting opinions which is usually yes yes um they also then decided that um barry really wanted to have his acts cross over into the white clubs basically he wanted his his acts to eventually play the copacabana which was a top club at the time he wanted to um like uh, most of the people that he was signing were these teenagers from detroit some that were you know middle class some a little bit poor but hadn't had opportunities to um he wanted them to be able to interact with anybody and feel comfortable and know how to speak so he set up so that they would have classes in how to dress and uh, diction and how to converse with people huh. and uh, little like how to if you sit down at a place and setting and you've got three forks what are they used for he wanted them to have those kind of like lessons in comportment and things like that yeah he, probably because of what it sounds like his family life was very good and very yes he loving. wanted the he very wanted upwardly kinda, mobile was yeah. was the was the whole thing yeah yeah and um also he wanted when they were on stage to really know how to present themselves yeah so they they had uh, a choreographer charlie atkins on staff to teach people how to dance and and they did things like they have some acts that were very very um energetic in their dancing and their styling and then they would have the supremes who they had just real gentle movements very feminine very yeah so they they were able to tailor what they're presenting to the act but it made everybody look very very professional yeah because it gave them all a, a look yes yes um so that was another thing he they had this area they called it art, artist development mm-hmm. 
So it was just basically to polish everybody up. And, and a lot of this, the ideas for these things came from when Barry worked in the automobile industry because he, he could see by working on the line, you've got, you know, specialized areas to create this product. So he decided to, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to have these areas that are going to work on your look and we'll have another area that works on how you move and, yeah, you know. I mean, kind of cool. Also a little concerning to think of people as products, but, you know. it Yeah, yeah. It's a little... Um, controlling it yes sounds, it sounds a little uh what's the stepford wise a little a bit. bit and some of these ideas also come from the old hollywood studios right, right. idea of we're going to make sure that what people see of us is a is a real polished product right which yeah i mean i'm sure is valid in some situations but i, I could see in others being like all right but are you a real person because i'm a little afraid you're a robot yes yes so. Um, so anyway, the company then later on it moved to Los Angeles in 1972. And in 1985, the old Hitsville, USA house, um, Barry's sister Esther had not moved. Most of the family had moved to Los Angeles when Barry did. But his sister had stayed in Detroit and worked for the company from Detroit. Oh, wow. And uh, his sister had the building Hitsville converted into the Motown Museum. Yes, which you have been to. I have been to, and I highly recommend it. It was super cool. It's it's uh, it's interesting because you see this neighborhood that you could tell had really once been thriving is mm-hmm. in pretty poor shape now. Mm-hmm. But it is it's very interesting too to actually see how tiny the studio was, and you know the amazing music that came out of there yeah and to see just how small the area was it's pretty incredible that's super cool i would like to go at some point yeah. in my life yeah it's definitely worth it definitely yeah. worth it cool very cool so that's pretty that's much pretty it much the yeah early that's days. that's the early days that's how motown wow. was founded very cool yeah very cool it sounds like everybody was just very uh, into what they were doing which is very very dope yeah, I think so. And you know, there's been like a, a lot of different things that I've read about Barry Gordy over the Ju- Barry Gordy Jr. over the years. BGJ. Yes, Barry Gordy. Um, you know, he he's obviously problematic in some ways because he's a very he w- he was a very ruthless man mm-hmm. and he did some things that were not great. Mm-hmm. But he's not I I don't think he did it out of a sense of cruelty. I think it was just he was is so extremely ambitious yeah um that people kind of got trampled on the way which is often the case with very ambitious ambitious people people, it seems to be a a common thread yeah yeah but he wasn't like you know phil specter awful no well yeah (laughs) it's hard to reach those deaths (laughs) (laughs) yeah he didn't murder anybody that we know of so yes yes I'm not accusing him of anything. I'm just saying we don't know. Yeah, yeah. The, I think most people that had problems with Barry, it came when they didn't want to do what he mm-hmm. wanted them to do. Mm-hmm. And he would tend to just, you know. Like, all right, I'm done with you. Kind of. I could see that. Kind of, yeah. So the people over the years, uh, Mary Wells had problems with him. She she wanted to have control over her career. Yeah. And so she ended up leaving Motown like pretty early, like a 63 or 64. Um, Florence Ballard from the Supremes had problems with him, yeah. which we all know about, um, which and we'll definitely go into detail when we do the Supremes. Yeah, that's a that's a full Supreme. Yes. 
there's a bird chirping outside. Oh. <laughs> Rachel's like, what's that sound? It yeah, it's like a bird. It's crying for a second. Yeah, I don't know if it's getting picked up I or not. I have no idea. Sorry about that. Continue. But anyway, that's that's about all I have to yeah. say about Motown. Do you have any Motown memories you want to share? Um, Not particularly. Uh, I, you know, uh, it's kind of one of those things you had them on. Uh, CDs in the car, you know, you were a huge Supremes fan, mm-hmm. so you had a lot of that kind of stuff, but I don't really have any, like, big, um, life-changing or, mm-hmm. or, like, large memories with Motown, you know, uh, it's not something I go back and listen to all that often, pers- yeah. personally. Do uh, you have a, is there a Motown song that you can think of that you particularly like? <sighs> See, that's, I don't know. No. Not really. Not, nothing that's coming to mind right now. Yeah. Maybe if you ask me, like, you know, next time, because I can't, I just can't think of anything right now. Okay. How about you? Yeah, I really, I mean, I'm a big Supremes fan. Yeah. I mean, I love all Motown, truly, but Obviously. I'm a big Supremes fan. I really love the song Back in My Arms again. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's really cute the way she name checks Flo and Mary. I, think <laughs> I just always thought that was adorable. That is cute. Yeah. That's that one of my favorites. I would, yeah, I would concur that it's very cute. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that it was like one of their top, because their top. Once they started having hits, they had a lot of no hits, and they were called the No Hit Supremes. We'll get into this more in the Supremes uh-huh. thing. I can just talk about the Supremes all day. <laughs> but uh, but their first five singles, then after um, um, Baby Love, I think was the first one. They were all number one. They had a lot of number ones. Jesus. Um, but Back in My Arms Again is the one that like everybody's heard Baby Love, mm-hmm. and so it, it's a uh, it's the one that I really like because it's not as well known right too. it's a little a little indie yeah, yeah i mean it's hard to say i mean it did go to number one right, it was a popular right. song no yeah but, but it's not like the you know yeah the crazy hit that it could have been true cool. true very cool yeah it's hard when we're in this kind of stuff for me because i've oh i'm sorry i've i have to be playing something uh because I've heard a lot of it. It's just not stuff that I go back and listen to all that much. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's a little it's a little harder for when we're, especially when we're in like the 60s and yeah. 50s and stuff. Yeah. Once we get into, excuse me, once we get into the like late 70s and 80s, 90s. Yeah. That's, well, I, that's where I, know I when, listen to When stuff, you, you always say, you know, well, me and Jordan were listening to the oldies channel. Yes. And your oldies channel is like, you know, it's all, 70s it's, and 80s. It's all 70s and 80s. Yeah. Like it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of hair metal. I love yeah. I love eighties hair model. Yeah. Like I love White Snake and I love, you know, all that kind of shit. So once we get into that I'll I'll probably be a bit more Oh my god. But you know, this yeah. stuff I do find interesting, which is why we're doing this podcast, obviously. Uh but it's not stuff that I'm like all that attached to, I guess. Yeah. So we'll yeah. just see, you know. And maybe I will get super attached to it at some point in my life. But yeah. it's not right now, so Yeah. Next week's um, episode is a podcast recommendation from Ron Karn. Yeah, thanks, Dad. Yeah, we're going to be doing the music from the summer of 1967. Yes, Very psychedelic. That will be, see, I'll, I can get into that kind of stuff. I might be a yeah. little more hyped for that. Yeah, you'll have to listen to this playlist because there are songs I put on there that I'd never heard of. Really? That I just pulled off oh, of, that'll uh, be fun. Charts. That'll yeah. be fun. I'm very excited for that. Yeah. Because I really love. I love psychedelic crap. I really do. What I found interesting was there was a couple of the bands that almost had like a garage rock kind of sound to I them. I can get they, into that. They sounded much uh, 
much more homemade than I anticipated. Yeah. And I, then there's some big hits well, on there yeah. that everybody will recognize. There's some some Jimi Hendrix and some uh, monkeys on there. Well, and, yeah. Yeah, classics, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm Chips excited. Airplane. I'm excited for some of those. That'll be really fun. Yeah. Because yeah. that's really where I start to get really into older music. Is yeah. Late 60s and then into... I don't know. Can you consider the early 2000s older now? I guess so. That's really gross. But yeah, I'm yeah, you can. Yeah, I mean, you're talking 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I over to that's like 20 years almost. It's 2019. Yeah, I <laughs> so. Isn't that gross? It is kind of gross. But yeah, so once we get into this, once we're getting into this kind of stuff, I'll have a lot more opinions. Yes. <laughs> Which is great. Yes. And like I said, she she will listen to the playlist oh, before the episode. I will listen to this one for sure. Yeah. For sure, because I enjoy 67 stuff. That'll be really fun. Are we going to have a guest speaker? Are we going to have Dad come on? and? No. 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 <laughs> Shut that down real quick. Nope. Nope. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Dad. <laughs> but if anybody out there wants to make some suggestions for upcoming episodes we we love that um i really love so much music i i'm look i kind of struggle for what's the next thing to talk about because there's so much i want to talk about yeah i want to i want to do a couple on my own not on my own but uh reverse yeah a little role reversal uh where i'm giving some fun facts but i'm gonna do some fucking weird stuff because uh, I don't know if mom knows that much about, like, J-Metal, which is just insane, or the history of K-pop, which is also very fun. So we'll get into kind of some odder things as well, probably down the line. Yep. Uh, maybe some of that noise music. I don't think it's called noise music, but it's uh, just very odd, uh, like, extremist punk and that kind of yeah. bullshit, which I really love. If you do any, like, real screamo kind of stuff, no. you, you have to create that playlist. That's fine. I can't, no, I can't do it. I don't know if I'll get too much into the screamo <laughs> stuff, because that's just a bizarre... I don't know. that whole. I don't know much about that whole community anymore, so that might be a little difficult. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But I definitely want to do some on um, just this, like... It's like, like trash punk, where you're not actually like singing or anything you're basically just destroying shit i find it very interesting and very fucking weird Hmm. so uh, that could be something that would be really fun uh just like i think it would just be like weird music stylings which is just a fun topic and just some random bullshit that i could talk about for a while okay yeah so that might that might be coming out soon i gotta do a playlist for that and figure out some just bizarre stuff to talk about that you can learn about uh that you can be me are you is... are you gonna do is it the swedish metal that has all the like murders and stuff in it i want to do that really bad yeah. yeah those are really fun it's uh, i think it's black metal yeah norwegian norwegian norwegian, norwegian that's black it. metal that's yeah. yeah uh there's gonna be some really fun bullshit yeah i mean i've heard some stuff yeah from the appreciating true crime yeah. not from the appreciating the kind of music no if you but... get in the music's i mean it's norwegian black metal i don't know you have to kind of like really put yourself in that mind space which yeah. is just fucking nuts but they burnt down some churches and shit so yeah. we can get into that there's also a tour there's a guided tour of all the places that they burned i'm not even fucking kidding like if you're a huge norwegian black metal uh metalhead i guess uh, you can go on a tour of the places that a lot of this historic bullshit happened. It's it's pretty mm. fucking nuts. So uh, so I recommend the Motown Museum tour. And yeah. Rachel <laughs> recommends the 
Norwegian burnt I've, down churches tour. I've, I've never been on it, but I want to go really bad. <laughs> Apparently, like, you know, it, when you go, a lot of people are, like, these fucking crazy-ass metalheads, and, like, the people who give the tours are fucking crazy-ass metalheads, which is just dope. It sounds really fun. Nice. Uh, if anyone wants to fund my trip to Norway, <laughs> yeah, I will go on this tour with Good you. Good luck with that. <laughs> we might have a, wel- a wealthy patron. Yeah, well, we got to get our Patreon going. Oh, right. We got to do that first. You can just Venmo. That, that'll happen sometime. You but... can just Venmo me. <laughs> yeah. Keep dreaming on that one. So anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks to Billy Zen for our theme song, Don't I Know You. Thank you, Billy. Thanks to Rachel Karn for our logo. Thank you, me. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, don't forget that we have an Instagram, Tales from the yep. Rockside, and we have a Facebook. Yep. They are all going to be run by me now. So yes. uh, if you need to direct message, you know, that it's me. So you'll never hear back. So good luck with that. Yeah. Our, our, <laughs> our Instagram, we're kind of trying to put up some images uh, related to the Shit, I need to do episode. That. <laughs> yeah. You need to get on that. I'll do that. I'll do that today. And so please like, rate, and review us on iTunes. It's going to get us in front of more people, which mm-hmm. will help our podcast an awful lot. We'd really appreciate it. We really want feedback and we yeah. want to grow and, you know. Yeah. We would love that. So, you know, let us know what if you have any grievances, if you have any loves, if you have any yeah. hate, whatever, if if you want to pay for my trips to Norway, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, maybe. good luck. <laughs> uh, recommend us to everyone you know. We appreciate it so, so much. Yeah, unless they hate women, then maybe don't recommend us because, you know. Maybe we'll change not... their mind. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Misogynists are misogynists Sorry. down deep. Anyway, thanks for listening, and we'll see you shake on the silver screen, Jimmy Dean. Rock on.